Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to John Fagg, the co-founder of Skeda, a reservation and scheduling system for spaces such as meeting rooms, sports venues, professional studios, and more. In 2013, John and his co-founder were running a sports facility in Melbourne, Australia. They were struggling to manage reservations and bookings, so they looked around for the right software to help them, but couldn't find a good solution. So they decided they would build a tool and thought they could also sell it to other businesses. But neither of them could code and had no idea how to go about building a software product. John persuaded another friend who was an engineer to join their team. The only problem was that he was doing his PhD in Germany at the time, so they had to work remotely across different time zones to build the product. But the founders had no idea what they were doing. They didn't have a background in starting a software business, so even though they managed to build a product, finding customers was painfully slow. It took them well over 18 months to find their first 10 customers. Also, it didn't help that they were all working part-time on this side project. They tried a bunch of different things to get customers, including sending handwritten letters in the mail, but nothing seemed to work. It looked like this would be nothing more than a side project that never went beyond a handful of customers, right? We've heard that story before. But a couple of years into working on this business, they made two key changes. And as a result, within six months, that opened the floodgates for them. They suddenly had more traffic to their site, more people signing up to try the product, and many of them were converting into paying customers. Today, they have about 4,000 customers, are doing multiple seven figures in annual recurring revenue, and are a team of 15 people. And their business has been bootstrapped all the way. In this interview, we cover exactly how they overcame the struggles of finding customers and we deep dive into the two big changes they made that turned things around for them. I hope you enjoy it. John, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share with us? I don't actually um, have a quote. I'm not a, a massive quotes person, but I think the uh, just thinking about it, I think the thing that um, really motivates me is really just uh, liking to um, build things. And that's uh, been something that I've yeah shared with the rest of my founding team and then the, the wider team. It's just uh, a lot of fun to build things with uh, interesting people. So tell us about Skeda. What does the product do? Who's it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Well, essentially, it's a uh, space management uh, software tool. And what we're attempting to do is really just reduce admin time for organizations who have spaces and when i say spaces um, that could be anything from a uh, a desk to a a room a court a field really anything um, physical space and try to make that process as self-service as possible for the end user so it's really people and space and Skeda tries to sort of sit in between and yeah reduce that complexity so basically anybody who has some kind of physical space that can be used by others can use Skeda to to manage booking and scheduling of that. that that's right yeah I think that's 
one of the things that's probably been our main feature in some ways is that it's very it's a very flexible tool that can be used across all kinds of verticals and we see um, all kinds of weird and wonderful things uh, on the platform that's interesting tell me a little bit about like why is there a need for a product like this there's no shortage of scheduling tools out there and probably somebody could cobble together a calendly or something like that to to solve part of the problem but how much more can somebody do with scheduler that they couldn't do with a a more you know horizontal product yeah so i mean there there is definitely no shortage of scheduling products or calendar tools or all kinds of things like that i mean there's a especially a very large market for um, appointment scheduling um, and that's something that is is something we definitely don't do in any way but the space scheduling probably falls into a few different verticals where there's there's space scheduling for particularly for uh, real estate or there's um, space scheduling specifically for co-working spaces or for sports facilities or, or all kinds of specific things. But what we found in the very beginning, many years back, but is you know, still the case now is that there was a, a space for a tool that, that was able to be kind of flexibly molded to, to do what your space does. And that's, that's something that Yes, it has been. Yeah, I think that's probably been its main success is its ability to, to um, for someone to customize it to exactly how it works. Because there's, yeah, under the surface of uh, you know managing your local community hall, there's a lot of complexity about your individual process that that kind of needs to be represented in a software platform. Yeah, and and you have like a variety of customers, like you know, just going to the Skeda website, Harvard University, Krispy Kreme. Yep. Mercedes-Benz. Yep. So, you know, pretty diverse in terms of, of customers. What about size, kind of customer size and what percentage of your customers are kind of larger organizations versus an individual with, you know, a farmer with a field or something? Yeah. Yeah. We love the, the farm with a, with a field and that, that has been <laughs> really our, the core part of our, our business is being able to you know, deal with that level of customer and, and help solve their problem right and, and then, you know, really move up to, to larger organisations. I think that's probably been the, you know, the story of the last 12 months um, with the pandemic is that, um, you know, we originally uh, had a bit of a, a hit um, with um, people not knowing what was going to happen next and all the uncertainty and, you know, people just not using venues or um, spaces that they had um, for a period of time. But what we what we saw after that um, was especially a, a real quite a large increase in the amount of people essentially needing to manage people in space uh, in ways they hadn't needed to do before, and so that was a pattern we really saw across you know all different sizes. But it's certainly seen us move much more into the workplace sphere, and that's 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 quite a, a large part of our offering now that that really wasn't previously. Got it. So I want to get into the idea, like how you guys came up with the the idea for this business. But before we do that, can you give us a sense of the size of the business in terms of revenue, customers, size of team? Yeah. So the number of customers, we, we have about 12,000 of, of our customers, but we have about 4,000 of those are paying customers. We still like to um, call, all call them customers. We like to treat them the same um, and look after them. But um, yeah, so we've got that about that split. And yeah, in terms of the size of our team, um, we're at 15 people right across the team. 
And in terms of revenue on ARR, we're um, sort of multiple seven figures. Got it. Great. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you call your free users customers as well. Where was it? Where was it? I came across somewhere that they said that there's only two industries that call people users, and it's either software companies or drug dealers. Yeah, I, I, did, I think I, I saw that. I, I saw that come across as a, as a, as a funny observation. Yeah. Cool. So we got a size of the a sense of the size of the business. You, it, the, it was founded in uh, 2013. So you, you've been in business yeah. for about eight years. Yep. Where did the idea come from? Well, it actually came from so part of our um, founding team. A couple of us had an existing business together, and you know one of the, our endeavours was relatively unsuccessful and a very uh, difficult business for various reasons, but. It was actually to do with a, a, a sports facility and we needed to try to find a, a tool to manage that and manage, you know, who can book the soccer field for, for this amount of time. Or, um, and uh, we, we just didn't see anything in the market and that's where the, that's where the idea came about that we thought um, maybe we could build something. And what happened to that business yeah, so that that business, we we eventually, um, you know, we we did we we learned a lot of things along the way, and we managed to pull it together and and actually make it into something that was was you know a viable enterprise, and then we yeah we we sold it at a certain point in time. It was a certainly a, a very difficult business to run, and one that you know sort of took a lot took a lot out of us. But yeah, we did sell that in the end. Yeah, I mean, you guys are not typical you know, tech SaaS founders and in terms of some of the businesses that, that you've run. So when you, when you sort of identify that there was a need for a product like this, at what point did it become, we need this tool to, we could build this tool for other people? Yeah, well, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't that ambitious at that point in time, as in, we, we certainly, in the beginning, we were, we were only thinking about this as being a, a sports focused tool. I think we realized that it, that it could have application outside of, you know, indoor sports facilities, which was the particular user case we were in, but we, we knew that it could be applied to, to tennis courts and, you know, other sports fields and things like that. And we, we understood that therefore that market was, you know, there's a lot of tennis courts in the world. So it's, it's, we already had an idea that it could be, could have reasonably broad application, but yeah, it was only as we actually got into the detail of, of building it that we realized that actually it has a lot of a much broader application and then found that that those markets were also not that well served, just like um, the sports market. So when you started building it, was it Initially, just for yourselves. No, we always had the idea that it would be a, a product for other people. Yeah, we, we we didn't. It wasn't wasn't just for us. Yeah. Okay. So you've got this idea, and then how, how did you how did you get started? Did you like validate the idea? Did you go and talk to other people running similar types of businesses? Did you just you know start building something? Yeah. Well, I mean, first I had to you know find the smartest person I knew that I went to went to school with and I thought um you know try to try to convince him that um it was a it was a good idea and uh that we we should embark on this little adventure together um and that's that's turned out to be a, a great decision for for both of us and then once we sort of had that idea and we'd you know carved out some time to really try to try to make it happen we really just went for it and started to build it uh, i think we'd had we had enough validation in the sense that you know we needed it and we were in that business and we were also 
you know, we had another business at the time as well. So we're reasonably connected with, you know, similar types of things and we're aware that that, that need was, was broader than just ours. So I think we, I think we in a sense, had the validation before we, before we started. So you have two co-founders, right? Ryan and Sam. Yep. Who built the product? Sam uh, definitely built the uh, built the product, and uh, and for the first well, we're now into eight years, and for the first about five and a half, nearly six years, he did every line of code. And tell me about like the the first version of the product. Like what what did it actually do? Because it's probably very different to. Or it was very different to what you have today. Yeah, it's it's funny because we, we actually did it just a, a couple of months ago. We put together a um, sort of we call it the, the playbook, which we now give to all of our new team members who are starting with us, and and it, it kind of begins with a bit of an overview of uh, the the company and where how it started, and you know it's kind of um, uh, various iterations. And yeah, it was it was very funny to go through the, <laughs> the the product as it was, and the different logos and the designs, and so we were trawling through all those things. And yeah, it was a real trip down memory lane. But I mean, it looked it, it definitely looks a lot different than it looked now, and it did a lot less. But in its core element, we were still very uh, excited about it and thought that, and it was a, a reasonably big change to what was available at the, at, at the time i think it, it mainly is and it focused very much on the on the visual element of booking and just just trying to make that as intuitive as possible to the user but it is funny to look back on what it looked like now w- once you launched the the product it took you you know we always talk about you know the, the first 10 customers and, and how important that milestone is it took you guys quite a while to get your first 10 customers right yeah, it did. Yeah, we were a good eighteen months or so before we we got our first ten customers, and I think there were obviously certain points in time there where it was it was you know unclear whether we we would get to that figure. I think we all always thought that it was going to you know be successful to some degree uh, in in that it would work, but you know that was certainly a relatively long period of time to to, to get them. And and so what was going on? Why, why did it take that long? Well, I think in some respects we just had no idea what we were doing uh, to to get ten customers. I mean, as as I said, we were very very green in software. We just didn't have any background in 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 starting a, a software product or acquiring customers, or you know, we 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 were aware of all those practices in a grassroots business which we had, and we we had you know, relatively refined methods for that. But to acquire sports players in a, you know, in Melbourne is quite different than than trying to um, get customers for a, for an unknown software product. So, you know, to think of some of the things we did back in the day to try to get those customers is 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 very funny now to think of the the actual letters that we're sending out to <laughs> to organizations at one point. You were sending letters out in the mail? We were sending letters out in the mail. I still have it sort of burned in my memory of Ryan sitting at the table, sort of, you know, licking the stamps to to, to deliver, to get the letters out. <laughs> and so, like, where did these first 10 eventually come from? Yeah, so we had uh, our first customer actually was a was a was a tennis facility in in here in Australia in in Western Australia, and they're still a customer today, which is which is great. And 
yeah, that was through a contact of ours who who knew about our little project and and sort of put in a good put in a good word for us. So we're we're always in, indebted to that for the first customer. But yeah, from there we we managed to yeah, I suppose a, a few of our letters or you know electronic letters we that we migrated to after that <laughs> they you know managed to just uh we yeah through contacts and through calling people remember we 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 actually physically went and visited a number of um venues and talked to them we had one one particular case which is which was quite funny which we often refer back to today that we went into a sports facility here in in melbourne and we're telling them about the product and and you know telling them it's going to be great for the business and showing them how it worked. And then at the end of it, they sort of get to the price or what does it cost? And we were like, oh, so it's, you know, $49 a month. And he's just sort of looked at both of us and he's gone, $49 a month? Gee, you're not going to be the next Bill Gates, are you? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we thought we thought that was that was that was very funny. I mean he was, you know, he was he was he was accurately assessing our situation at the time. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So we talk about about a year and a half to get your first 10 customers. And then you made a change which kind of opened the floodgates for you. Like what did you decide to do differently? Well, we, we sort of made two decisions almost concurrently, which which combined to to really get things moving. And and one was to to just have a period of time where we just concentrated on actually improving our our search ranking and that was something that we just hadn't put any time into before and once again an area that we just knew nothing about but we we just dedicated to to a period of time and it wasn't it didn't turn out to be that long but just really focusing on what it is that our product is is doing and so therefore how should we be positioning and how should what keywords should we be using and and attempting to to start um, being visible because obviously at that point in time we're we're essentially completely invisible to the world apart from the the venues we we physically turn up to so uh, we did that and that that's really started to have a, a big impact on um, on the amount of people were coming to us and we were able to given the competition I mean this is eight years ago uh, we were able to relatively quickly um, move up the rankings um, and so our the na- amount of traffic that was coming to us really significantly increased but at the same time we also decided to to move to a, a freemium model and up until that point yeah we just had paid options with a 30-day free trial and we just yeah we just didn't have any volume of uh of customers um coming to us okay so l- let's talk about the seo piece first uh how, how did you guys learn what to do did you just kind of figure it out yourself did you go and get some help now we this was one that we yeah we did just figure out ourselves. I mean it was a lot of the the technical aspects of it. Sam really um, sort of uh, that was a bit of a project for him to just sort of look into it, understand how it worked, what are the factors, what are the what are the signals for Google, and let's like let's play the game, you know. And then you know that also involved a process of trying to understand our domain a bit more, which was a useful process to to to, to realize what are all the verticals that our product could work in and you know we need to create the, the the right landing pages and the right copy and the right things that people are searching for so I think it, it, it kind of opened up a whole range of possibilities of of what the product could actually do so that was a useful exercise I think you know SEO if I think about it now as well and it's, it's the same is that 
SEO is really essentially just making things easy to understand for people. So it, it needs to be targeted. It needs to, the content needs to match what people are searching for. I mean, Google certainly now can't really be gamed in that sense that it maybe was once upon a time. So um, it's just, it was an exercise of, I suppose, clarity of our own content and what we're actually offering. Um, and that that's certainly proved to, to be really useful for us because we, we up until the last 12 months, we really, we didn't do any paid marketing. So it was essentially all came from, from um, our search rankings. So I can see on the website that you've done a really good job in, in thinking about key landing pages and, and optimizing for things like, you know, a meeting room booking system and people searching for that stuff. I don't see much in terms of content, you know, like a blog or articles. Is that just kind of hidden away that I can't find it? Or or is it is it really just about these key landing pages and the way you've optimized the site that that's kind of been the driver of SEO? Because a lot of people will do that, but then they'll also spend a ton of time creating blog posts and articles and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So we, we, when, yeah, when we're sort of talking about, you know, SEO in this sense, we, we really didn't, we didn't spend a lot of, a lot of time ongoing on it. It was really just a particular project to make sure that everything was, was organized. And, and as you noted, the, yeah, it's, it, really it's the structure of the site that we're really focusing on all the, the different things we do and then um, having specific pages and, and using the relevant keywords for all that. But in far, as far as a sort of a broader SEO strategy, I'm sure there's, there is definitely room for us to, to improve on that significantly and not to something that we wouldn't do in the future. But it just always, we did very briefly have a blog. We, we flirted with that for a little while, but what became clear, we, we killed that, you know, after a period of time, we, we just realized that um, we just didn't have the, the bandwidth within our team to, to do anything of any notable sort of scale that would make a difference SEO-wise. So we just decided to, to not focus on any of those other things. So we haven't, we haven't actually, in terms of SEO, we haven't, um, you know, spent a lot of time doing extra link building and all those things. It, it, it hasn't been any of that. It's more been just making sure the site was, was relevant, the content was well-organized and structured to get that result. Right. But, but SEO has been the biggest driver for you guys, right? So you, you may not have definitely spent like a huge amount of time doing a bunch of things, but, but the, what you did do has been the kind of the main way you, you've acquired customers. Absolutely, yeah. That that is that still is the main way, and and that's how we've acquired customers. But I think what SEO did, um, along with the freemium, was that it, it it just created some volume in the product. So we had more people seeing it, uh, so more people signing up for it, and because there was no, the barrier was removed, uh, more people actually using it, then more people giving us feedback, and then improving the product, and then people then you know, seeing value in it, starting to pay for it, sharing it with other people. And then word of mouth suddenly became just a significant driver probably as as SEO from there. So, but SEO and, and freemium sort of kind of kicked it all off. So was there anything that held you back from having a freemium model sooner? Probably just experience or knowledge or <laughs> some idea of it, that that was an option. I just don't think that we'd really 
looked into it. We we just kind of went into it and then put some, you know, copied some pricing tiers from someone else and uh, went into it. We just didn't we just didn't really know any better. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. We have, uh, you know, at one point in time, I can't think of them all, but they were they were all um, alliteration of uh, Skedder Super and Skedder Sublime or something like that. You know, these these pricing levels that, you know, just meant basically nothing and, and you know, no one was using the product that had these arbitrary prices on them. And I think that, yeah, we then just moved to a model where we just said, we, there's a free offering which is quite generous um, and and very usable so it wasn't like it was it wasn't limited in a way that you know you kind of had to upgrade and it, it still is and then we had just one other offering just one premium forty nine dollars that was it so it was we we just sort of really cut back and made it quite simple for people to to understand and and what happened when you introduced the freemium model? I mean, it didn't happen, you know, straight away. But in, in for, from our perspective, it was a it was an avalanche <laughs> from comparative to what it was before. We just had just people signing up for the product, and 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 there was just a bit of activity, and that was very exciting for us because you know we we just had this period where everything was a bit of a grind, and we're trying to get customers, and and but then it suddenly just turned to being the people just coming to us and. Then asking questions about it and trying to make it work for their user case, and um, yeah, that was that was a very exciting period when it sort of started to be. You actually started people, you know, to be using the product and getting their feedback, and and then we could use all that to to make the product better. So, I mean, it, it seems like freemium has turned out to be a good decision for you guys, and and the you know the percentage of free users that you're converting into paid customers is also very healthy. But freemium is not always the right model for everybody. Why do you think, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that hold people back, like, you know, I'm going to end up supporting a whole bunch of free users that are never going to become paying customers. What kind of support do I have to provide those people? You know, is there any kind of virality into my product that ultimately even if people are using it for free they might help attract other customers or paying customers so what do you think specifically about freemium has has made it work for you well yeah i think that the main aspect of freemium that that certainly worked really well for us in the early days and and, and still does work well for us now is that we just get so much feedback from it so we just get so many people actually using the product and trying to mold it to their different user cases. Uh, and then the feedback that you then get, I mean, it's especially valuable in the early days because, um, you know, when there's no one's using the product, you're just making stabs in the dark about what what is needed to be developed and uh, getting that feedback early on. And I think that our, our product does have the benefit that it is, it does have an element of virality. It's not like a customer app in, in that it, it can be viral like that, but it it is used by an organization who then has another group of users. So whether it's an internal group of employees or whether it's the, the actual public that are, that are, that are booking. Uh, so it naturally kind of spreads in that way that our free customer can be actually quite useful to you in bringing you other business as people interact with the platform. So, I mean, in terms of support, 
that's never for us has never been uh, an issue um, that we we've always been able to to manage support and it's never proven to be a big issue. I mean, I suppose if that ratio really got out of control, um, then it could possibly be be an issue. But certainly, we, we've never had any issues in that in that regard. Yeah, and and I think we should also kind of set the context here that in those first couple of years, you guys weren't working on this business full time, right? Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, it was it was definitely a side project for us, um, and you know, with with uh, less than <laughs> less than ten customers for a long time, and uh, being being bootstrapped, um, you know, there was only one option that it, it was a, a part time thing. But we had yeah, he had our other business that we were working on, Ryan and I, and Sam was you know after the initial six months of. Um, of actually building it together, he was doing a PhD. So um, you know, we were we were relatively um, limited in our in our time, but I think in a lot of ways that sort of focused in our efforts, which which I think has helped us in the long run. That we we actually were only able to do theoretically the most important thing at the time. Yeah, I, I think that you know a lot of the times uh, it's it's easy to kind of tell yourself that you know I. I I'll be able to do all these things when I get funding, but I just can't even imagine the mistakes, the much worse mistakes we would have made if we had extra money and extra people, <laughs> and extra time. <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, I, the, the mind boggles to think of the things that we would have done if we had if we had money. So, yeah, I think in in our context, maybe considering especially that we were very green. I think it, it definitely worked well for us that it was a bit of a slower burn. And and then uh, at what point did the three of you go full-time on the business? Yeah, well, it, Sam went full-time after, after he'd completed his PhD. So that was sort of another, I think, three years after that. And uh, Ryan and I were still, you know, involved in the other business. And it, it's really only been probably in the last, you know, two years that, that we've been full-time. And, and did you did you tell me earlier that Sam built the product while he was doing his PhD in Germany? Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I did I did tell you that you know I did choose the smartest person I knew. So, um, but yeah, no, he, he's he's a very uh, clever cookie. So yeah, he was he's doing a, a PhD in uh, in in data mining, and he was yeah on the on the side. He was the only developer of the platform for for the first um, yeah best first part of six years. So when you started off, the business was bootstrapped and in many ways that can be a blessing when you, when you don't have the resources, you get more creative, you uh, have to make some tougher decisions about what you will do and won't do. So for example, you had to figure out SEO and you didn't really have the luxury of saying, okay, we're going to try and do paid advertising. And then you've you've continued to bootstrap the business into a multiple seven figures in in revenue. And has a conversation come up? Have you been approached by investors? Where where do you kind of stand on that? And, and how far do you sort of see this going as a bootstrap business? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, bootstrap the element of bootstrap just kind of suits us. Um, it suits the way you know we've we've come into it our, our background and it also yeah just suits the kind of the way that we work and the way that we like to work so i think that you know we we definitely do get approached and we're you know we're, we're we don't 
read too much into that as in it's a it's, it's a business model of you know venture capital to 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 know about what products are getting a certain amount of hits and just uh, inquiring as to how they're going and you know trying to to cast the net wide but it just um, for us you know we've managed to get to a stage where the business is generating the revenue required to for us to to grow to expand the team to uh, continue to invest in in, in getting um, great people to join us, and um, so it it's uh, we just haven't really seen any need to to get external funding, and have been able to fund ourselves. And I think yeah, there's a lot of lot of it that just really suits the way we we like to to approach it. So when you guys look back, I mean, obviously it's been a long journey. You guys have already been you know working on this business for for about eight years what's been the hardest part of of building and growing Skedder? Yeah, it's just, uh, I suppose we, we have been essentially remote the whole time. So we built the product together. We were all together in a in the same country for that sort of six-month period that we that sort of built it from the start of 2013 to the, to the middle of the year, but basically um, July. So yeah, eight, eight years ago. And but after that, we, we have operated remotely. Ryan and I um, have always kind of worked together in an office. We're the only ones who are, who are not remote within the whole team. But Sam has always been overseas uh, remote. So I think one of the things that was probably one of the most difficult things in the beginning and has continued to be something that we've had to work on is how do you create that kind of creative magic when you're not in the same room and it, it it is difficult there's a lot of things you can do remotely which have which are really useful and that kind of asynchronous communication that remote working allows creates a huge amount of space to just get things clear and just really be focused on what you're doing but a lot of the things that require creativity when you're trying to 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 tackle a difficult problem and you you want to come up with something new that's quite hard to do in 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 a remote environment so um that that's been a consistent kind of battle for us to be able to to have the right amount of time to 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 try to um you know get the magic to happen yeah and i think it's it's i mean there's so much obviously remote is kind of flavor of the year now right so uh, everyone is 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 doing it, and and there's a lot more investment going into collaboration tools, and and I think, but there's there's this definitely this thing about being in a physical space together where ideas tend to I don't know sometimes flow a little little better. Yeah, certainly, certainly we 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 found um, you know some of our. We, we, we've always sort of revolved around, and that's that's been a little bit difficult in that in obviously in the last eighteen months when we haven't been able to um, travel. But we've we've always previously had a, a, you know basically two catch ups each year. We, we you know call them our kind of little conventions where we we meet up for a week. We're usually away somewhere, and we just go through everything. We we, we reset. We try to reprioritize. We try to work out difficult product problems and and just make all kinds of decisions while we're sort of out of the headspace of just doing the day-to-day. And th- those have definitely been 
some of our most productive times and completely pivotal in, in, in changing different things within the business or new product ideas or just sudden, just, just clarity around what we, what we should do next. So um, they, they've, they've been very useful and they've always just in person and just having time to flow into one conversation doesn't need to be ended by something. It can just keep going and it, then it can also extend over dinner and to the next day and, yeah, you can get a bit, a bit better flow. Cool. All right. Well, um, we should wrap up. We should uh, get on to the lightning round. And uh, I'm going to ask you seven quick fire questions. Yeah. Uh, just try to answer them as quickly as you can. You ready to go? Great. Yep. All right. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Don't assume other people know better. Now, they might, but they don't assume it. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Um, one book that was just has been very foundational for us is getting real by um what was then 37 signals but base camp i mean it's now 15 years old but the the advice there is uh is is gold so it's proved certainly correct in our in our experience wow you you that yeah i kind of forgot how how long ago that book initially (laughs) was yeah uh what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder i think it's the ability to be motivated and dissatisfied at the same time what's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit probably focused uninterrupted time as in uh, being able to carve out that time just to focus on something but it's always a battle to maintain what's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the time it sort of seems that the longer we go, the, the more ideas we have within the product. So, uh, you know, at the moment, that, that really takes up all the creative energy. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Well, I was mentioning about, you know, Sam doing his PhD and, you know, also coding the system. And we have a lot of uh, very decorated high achievers within the team. But uh, I was uh, unsuccessful in completing my primary school teaching degree. You you were going to be a primary school teacher? Well, allegedly, I don't think I, I don't think I ever really was, but uh, that, that's what I that that's that's what I was that's what I was studying at one point in time. And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Well, I've got I've got three um, young kids who are under three under five who are a lot of fun. So I think at the moment for this particular season, I'm a more a facilitator of passions. <laughs> Love it. Great. Well, uh, if people want to find out more about Skeda, they can go to skeda.com, which is S-K-E-D-D-A.com. We'll include a link in the show notes. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, my, my singular social media platform is, is LinkedIn. So yeah, that, that's probably definitely the, the best way to, to get me. Great. We'll, uh, we'll include a link uh, to your profile in the show notes as well. So great, John. Thank you so much for... Uh, joining me and, uh, and and sharing the story of uh, Skeda and, and what you guys have been up to for the last eight years or so. One of the things I like about y- your story is like you haven't complicated things a lot. You kind of had a pretty simple kind of approach and and you've, you know, kind of just focused on on executing that. So I think there's, there's definitely a lesson for, for a lot of us because I'm very good at overcomplicating things or uh, trying to do, do uh, more than, than is necessary. So I think there's, there's some good, good lessons here on um, uh, 
just being smart and pragmatic and, and how you go out and do stuff. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think it just just to think, I think that one of the things that's, that's really helped us do that is that we have uh, within our founding team, we, we have, we're very different people. So it's, it's, it's always been a bit of a, um, it's a collaborative effort and we've worked well, very well together, but it's, it's a bit of a, a battle between people's ways of thinking about things, which I think helps us to get to a quite a pragmatic result at the end of the day. Yeah. Love it. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me and uh, I wish you and the rest of the team the best of success. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks.